Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Between the years of 2005 and 2010, in the United States, suspected sex trafficking of minors... Um, went up 846%. I mean, I can give some stats that are thrown around, but I think as an illicit market, we don't really know like what, maybe we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. You know, people talk about this being a $32 billion business and, you know, human trafficking, because those are numbers where like you're talking about 100,000 kids coming into it a year. Yeah. And then I think you fast forward and things are getting worse. And then you talk about an open border and there's no accountability on any of that. Law enforcement doesn't have the bandwidth, nor can they handle that. All these things have like been building up and leading us to come up with a better solution. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to welcome back my next guest to the podcast. Uh, He's been a guest on episode 11 way back in the day, so it's been almost five years now uh, since we last sat down. Quite a bit's happened since then. I won't uh, reiterate all the details. I encourage you all to go listen to episode 11 because... It's several hours chock full of the entire background of his SEAL career and his transition out into what he was doing, which has led to why he's here now. He's the co-founder of Kime Technology, which uh, is introducing and developed SpiderWeb, which is a database platform uh, that basically incorporates machine learning and AI for child trafficking and, and predator type stuff. Speaking of predators, you are a predator predator. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome back to the stage, Jeremy Mayhew. I, I, I was telling somebody the other day that uh, technically I'm an assaulter. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. But, you put but the how ass you, back in assaulter. How, how you put that uh, out there in, a, in the public today, you got to be kind of careful. I know it. All right. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of not gloss over, but uh, just I guess, uh, kind of wrap up, you know, what we had, uh, had discussed the last time you were on here, your entire, entire seal career was a big part of, of kind of what made you transition into the human trafficking. Let's space. be careful with the word transition yeah. these days. <laughs> Lots <laughs> happened in the last five years again. Yeah, that's so. no shit. <laughs> Gotta be careful with fucking everything. Not here. You don't. That's the, that's the beauty of mic drop. Nobody gives a shit. So if you could, um, kind of synopsize what, what it was about, your time in the SEAL teams and, and then ultimately getting out and deciding that you wanted to get into the, um, 
you know, NGO child trafficking space and, and kind of how that all worked. Yeah, for sure. I think that we, uh, you know, I spent probably a similar time to you, I think in the teams, 10 years yeah. for me. Right. And, uh, and then got out and lived in Montana for three plus years, just digging holes in the dirt, running my little excavation business, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, except for in the wintertime. Right. And when it's all froze over and, and uh, I decided to start contracting to the um, one of the three lettered agencies, right? Yeah. Which uh, I mean, now there's now there's been a, a movie and a and book written about 13 hours. So yeah. that was my guys. I just did all my trips to Iraq and did that for about five and a half years and enjoyed it. it really scratched an itch, and uh, and then from there jumped right into a political campaign with Ryan Zinke. You know, and since then he ended up becoming a U.S. congressman in Montana, and and as I got involved with that, I pulled myself out of this. What otherwise was a, uh, you know, I was going to go live in my cabin in the woods by myself and prepare for the end. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, somewhat on a prepper kind of uh, deal, but just getting involved in the politics a little bit and seeing how you know it's necessary that good people stand up and. Uh, stand up for making good changes, uh, despite I think politics being like the, the um, you know, go to D.C. and lose your soul kind of deal. Yeah. But you know we need more people to stand up and do good. And and uh, so then after that, a guy who was um, previously working at the agency as well had this idea of taking this methodology of fighting human trafficking like we fought counterterrorism and this target centric methodology to go after the bad guy. And I thought for sure. And, and originally I, maybe I mentioned this on the other podcast too, but originally we had this idea of like, we were going to go and rescue kids from other countries and bring them back to the U S that, I mean, a lot of these kids that had maybe got trafficked from the U S to other countries, uh, bring them back and take care of them and all of that. And we'd started to realize more what the human trafficking issue actually looked like. And I just, the more I got involved with that, the more I understood what the problem was, you know, it becomes one of those things again, like how can you not be involved? How can you not help? How can you not um, give your talent and your effort to, to something like that? So I did, I spent nearly eight years working for, and you can go back and see the other podcast, but Deliver Fund was the nonprofit organization. And, you know, I left there and for a host of reasons and sometimes it's just time to move on you yeah. know um but we saw better ways to do this and saw what the challenges were especially with a nonprofit. Yeah. and so yeah we started this this new company and we'll get into that as well but you know the the reason that i stayed with it even between the nonprofit to here because there was a part of me that was like i'm done with you know being the guy where you know i was a fundraiser on the nonprofit side. So here I come and uh, everybody's like, oh, here comes Jeremy. He must be asking us for money again. Yeah. And that gets old, right? Yeah. Like, I'm like, there's a lot of other cool things I've done in my life. You want to talk about those? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Or they're just like, hey, you still the guy doing the, yeah. the thing, the human trafficking thing? And I'm yeah. like, well, first of all, it's not the human trafficking thing. It's anti-human trafficking thing. Yeah. Uh, Are you I'm not, still I'm not trafficking. human trafficking? I'm, still not, I'm not trafficking. Yeah. Um, but either way, you know, like that's uh, it's something where I feel like now – that with the relationships that have been built through the political campaigning and, and the eight years of being involved in 
this fight and just getting introduced into a lot of different circles. Um, and then coming with a product that we can actually monetize and build a business and have real impact that we can scale infinitely into this uh, with pre real prevention tools. Uh, then I jumped back in and said, okay, I'm, I'm still all in on this mission. Yeah. All right. Hey guys, I want to take a, a second to talk about ads. Um, and this is not an ad. This is me talking about the ads. I know that um, you know, sometimes we get comments of, of people bitching about the ads. There's too many ads or they're too long or what have you. And I, I want to clear two things up, which is number one is that my slash our team's ability to bring you guests and, and bring them in and, and the accommodations and, and the entire process that it takes to produce these shows to the level with which we do uh, requires funding, you know, and the, the sponsors give us an ability to bring these shows to you. So while I understand that everybody wants zero ads and, and everything bunched together and, and what have you, this is how we, we bring this show to you. Uh, you know, we're a very small team. We're very fortunate to, to be able to do it, uh, but we do still have to, uh, to pay bills and, and bring that to you. So keep that in mind. That's the first point. And the second point is that I can assure you with 100% accuracy is that there is not a sponsor or a product that I talk about on here that isn't something that I use. Okay. That, that I either regularly use or always use or have used. And, and I refuse to budge on that. Okay. So we, we get uh, offers for, for sponsors regularly that, that get turned down because it's not stuff that I use or would use. So keep that in mind, uh, have a little bit of flexibility in terms of our ads and, and realize that, they're products that I believe in, that I stand behind, and they're what, what make this show possible. So if you support these advertisers, these sponsors, that is supporting the show. Thank you. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. I mean, it's, uh, I love to hear the, the dedication that you have to it. And, uh, you know, to me, it's, I would say, especially impressive because, I mean, yes, I think most people, unless they're uh, human traffickers, um, you know, want to put an end to it and, and are pretty passionate about it. But there's a big difference between being supportive and passionate versus actually doing it. And you started it before you even had kids yeah. and, and were pretty heavy into it for a number of years. Um, from a challenge standpoint, I'm curious, and I know you know a lot of people listening would be would be curious also, in in terms of the challenges that you run into with a nonprofit that's a civilian organization with helping law enforcement. Can you kind of speak to the the hurdles and challenges that exist both with a nonprofit and and even a a for profit company for that matter, but in the civilian sector, like from a jurisdiction and, and involvement standpoint, to me it seems like that's one of the biggest hamstrings that exist, um, you know, with people that want to do something, but, but struggle to find out how, uh, can you kind of speak to that? I think the, one of the larger restrictive points is always funding, right? I mean, and, and as a nonprofit, in some way you are in competition with all the other people that are talking about the same issue. And interestingly enough, now it's been, you know, pushing 10 years ago when we started this, and uh, I had just come off the political campaign 
And I remember sitting in the campaign bus um, telling Ryan Zinke what I was going to do next. And I said, you know, I'm, I think that with some of these connections that I essentially made through him, like these relationships that he had introduced me to, more political, but like these guys have real capability. I mean, some billionaire kind of people. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm tell them the story about child sex slavery kind of issues and we'll raise $50 million real quick because how could you not? Yeah. Right. I mean, how could you not raise a significant amount of millions of dollars just by saying this is, this is an issue. And, uh, the way that actually worked out was the first year we raised about $150,000 yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and I didn't really take uh, I think I got 10,000 of that to keep the lights on for my family or for me at the time is not family. And then the next year we bumped up, you know, where it was um, just under $500,000, you know, and the next year was probably similar around five, $600,000. And then, I mean, for the total organization, yeah. So you're three years into it and like, you just can't, you can't function with that kind of, I mean, you can't function with any real impact. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about this impact that you're having, but ultimately the last year, so seven and a half years into it, um, like I personally had built a pipeline of people that were involved and I personally had got well over $3 million into the organization that year. Um, but you know, you have these challenges like you had 2020 all of a sudden like that year we were on the rise and then and then people you're calling them up and saying, hey, you know, you're still interested in doing that philanthropic donation that you were going to. And they're like, you know what, I just had to lay off all my employees or this or that. And like just there's those kinds of challenges just purely on the like fundraising money in side. And then you go back to these donors and you have to say, you know, we've grown so can you give a little more, yeah. <laughs> right? It's just like, it's not, a, it's a broken formula. And there's organizations that do pretty well. There's, there's donors out there who give million dollar donations. Yeah. I mean, that's great. But you have to have a track record in order to do that. And it takes years to build that track record. And then, you know, you're ethically responsible for when you take that money in to do what it is you said you're gonna do. And, you know, I've, I saw a lot of pivots, um, one of the guys I worked with actually called him pirouettes. He was, a, he was another <laughs> team guy, but um, you know, these, these kinds of things like um, you, you change and pivot because you see what's working and what's not working. And, and you, and you are trying to always chase matching up what a donor wants to give to and what you think your mission is. Yeah. And that's a problem. Sure. Um, and then the other thing I would mention too, is like, at that organization, we decided that we were going to try and bring, you know, a, a solution of equipping, training, and advising, specifically law enforcement. And um, what, one of the things we found out is, like, we were going to provide them with this basically case management tool that would tie their case to any other case that was specific to human trafficking, which is a pretty cool idea because what I learned is, like, law enforcement super siloed, and they have – um, I mean, in Georgia, I believe there's like 159 counties, if I was, if I'm correct. And none of them really talked to each other. You know, at the time I was down there a few years ago, they're, they're all siloed into their own, almost like good old boy kind of networks. Right. And then on the state level, there's a little bit more. And then on the federal level, there's a little bit more, you know, communication, but even those levels don't talk to each other. And so we thought we could have this product where we could allow, at least on the back end, uh, an algorithm to, 
tie all of those cases together. Pretty cool idea. Law enforcement wasn't buying it. Even no. if they came to a class and they're like, this is good, they would go back to their departments and they would say, this is one more tool that we have to learn how to use or case management that we have to input data into. And we already have five and it's just, it was too cumbersome, too much. And it just, it just wasn't working, yeah. you know? So that's in that specific field, that was one problem. And now we've, we've, uh, we've created a solution, I think towards that end as well. With, uh, I guess with front, like from a, a statistic standpoint, can you kind of talk to, um, how big the problem is. I mean, and, and what role does kind of the research of, of you guys collecting that data on the almost passive side of just, you know, seeing like what, what the numbers are, like you mentioned U S kids being trafficked overseas. Like, do you, do you have your arms around like what the numbers are on, on that and just trafficking in general? Can you kind of talk to how big the problem is? I mean, I can, I can give some stats that are thrown around, but I think as an illicit market, we don't really know like what I, maybe we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, people talk about this being a 32, you know, billion dollar business and, you know, human trafficking, but it's like, and that's a big number. Um, but I think that if you look at what's happening in our, just in the United States with our border being wide open, um, what we can look at is sex advertising. What we can glean numbers from is like the amount of sex advertising that's out there and then attribution to that with human trafficking indicators. So we can say, here's all this data of what's being advertised for sex. Because what we do know is a lot of the human trafficking, just like, I've, I know I talked about this before, but the, in the older days, you had a red light district in a seedy part of town, you know, and you could drive by and you could see prostitution on the street. Now a lot of that has changed because of technology, right? And we've got a smartphone, so you can do business, any kind of business from anywhere, anytime. And you can order um, sex, just like you order Uber Eats, you know, and have it delivered to your hotel room. So that technology has allowed that business to scale like exponentially. So one of the statistics that I use often is from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children because what they say really correlates with that, that technology um, development as well. So between the years of 2005 and 2010, in the United States, suspected sex trafficking of minors um, went up 846%. And so the numbers, so that was between 2005 and 2010. In 2014, they talked about having about 700,000 calls for missing children type cases of which a lot of those kids were either found or they'd run away for the day or who knows what had happened. But they still suspected that one in six of those was human trafficking related. Wow. And they also said within, I think it was um, 48 hours to 72 hours um, of being on the street, a child would be um, introduced or, or somehow a sex trafficker would you know, that kind of predator would be out there, you know, talking to them, trying to get them yeah. just from them being on the street. Yeah. So like, it's very prevalent. And I think what's happened, um, even since then, I mean, cause those are numbers where like, you're talking about a hundred thousand kids coming into it a year. Yeah. And then I think you fast forward and things are getting worse. 
And then you talk about an open border and with the open border, we don't even know who's coming in. So these are undocumented people. Maybe they end up on a um, sex advertising website or maybe they're being sold by another person who's undocumented that came in and there's, there's no accountability on any of that. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, so it's impossible. I mean, the long story short is it's impossible to know. It's it's six figures plus. Oh yeah. But you know, it's like trying to fucking count grains of sand almost. Like it, it's just almost impossible. The other really frustrating thing I think that we found out too was like, even if we were the best intelligence organization in the world, and we said, "Here's an actual case. We built an actual case that's a slam dunk for every human trafficker out there." Law enforcement doesn't have the bandwidth, nor can they handle that in any way, nor is there the availability to prosecute it. So like you couldn't even handle 10% of that um, for a number of reasons. And so again, it's like a challenge. It's a frustration. You you sometimes would build a really good case, give it to law enforcement, and they either wouldn't act on it or wouldn't act on it right away. Maybe it was too late by the time they did. There's a host of problems there. And so again, it all, all these things have like been building up and leading us to come up with a better solution. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely get into the better solution. I would like to kind of go over some of the, um, the platforms used, um, the, the trafficking process, and then also talk a little bit about some of the government contacts that you have and any, um, pushback or uh, hurdles you've run into with, uh, like a national level department for anti-trafficking, which, to my knowledge, still doesn't exist, right? Um, the FBI, they have a unit that does human trafficking work. However, um, and I mean, you see the U.S. Marshals have done, have been doing a lot more as well. I mean, they, they have these cases where you'll see like they found 30 missing children, yeah. you know, in one state at a time. And um, but what you find out is a lot of those are actually tied in. There's multi, it's not just the U.S. Marshals. There's maybe other nonprofits. There's other um, federal agencies all kind of working together on, on some of those cases. The FBI does one big, um, like, sting kind of operation a year, typically. Um, and then different states are starting to pick up uh, different things. And I think there's up to maybe about 19 um, federally funded task forces and in those are all in different states. 19, you said? I, I think yeah. it's about up to 19 now. And so there's, there's some money that's flowing in that direction, but let's put it in perspective because when Trump was president, he put the most money towards this problem that any president had ever thought about putting. And so he pushed like a hundred million dollars and everybody was cheering and saying, that's amazing. A hundred million dollars. If this is like, legitimately like the second largest um market or uh, illicit market right criminal enterprise yeah and and the other ones would be narcotics and and guns um so it's it's right up in there yeah. i mean look what we spend on narcotics yeah and i mean how's that going yeah but we're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars fighting something that, like that and when it comes to human trafficking which is like our children's Lives and 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 I'll probably say this again in this interview, but like when you really boil it down, what we're actually talking about is commercialized rape of children. Yeah, well, and and it also you know actions speak louder than words. Like where where our government puts our money, irrespective of what any politician from you know the the lowest of the low in the in the Congress to all the way up to the president, 
no matter what they say that, that their priority is, the fact is, is follow the money. Like where, where you're putting yeah. money is what your priority is, no matter what you say, you know, and, and that speaks volumes, unfortunately. I've and, spoke to, a, I've spoken um, to the Capitol Hill Club with, with a group of um, Congress people, men and women. And when I went there, I looked up what bills they had around human trafficking and they had 22 bills on the docket that all involved something around human trafficking. Um, just in that time period, this a couple years ago. And, but when you look at these bills that get put through, politicians want to have this stamp of like, I'm doing something about human trafficking. It's, it's become a buzzword. The awareness has become a lot greater. So people really, I mean, the population is trying to demand change, demand something to happen. But a lot of those bills get passed, but they never get funded. Yeah, And that's a, to your point, right? Like follow the money. Like where's it, if you're not going to fund these kinds of things um, and you're only going to talk about it, then shut the fuck up about it. Then stop virtue sig signaling about it. You yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. Um, have you kept in touch with Zinke as far as uh, trying to use that as a bridge from what you guys are trying to accomplish and solve the problem that you, that we just talked about? So last Friday, I'm in uh, Montana, and they asked me if I'd come and speak at the what's called the Pachyderm. It's like the Republican uh, luncheon they do once once a month. So I show up, and as I get there, they're like, yeah, we we had you as the speaker. You had the floor, but um, Zinke asked if he could come in and give an update on the debt ceiling. Do you mind? I'm like, oh, not at all. So the good thing is uh, he got to give his 10-minute update on the on the debt ceiling, and then he had to sit through my 40 minutes of my speech, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which is good. And, you know, I took some questions, and he had yeah. some questions. And so, like, he's, he's a little bit more aware. That's probably the first time we've actually – he's heard more of what I'm up to now. Yeah. And, uh, and the great thing is, and we, what do we have, like five or six team guys who mm -hmm. are all, you know, in yeah. Congress now yeah. and, uh, and a host of other military guys. And so I think that – all of the people that I talk to in the government, they always want to do something. It's just they don't know what and they don't know how. Yeah. And so... Um, to me, that, that's frightening. You're a fucking congressman. And if you don't know how to get shit done, then what, like, what are you doing? You know what's interesting, too, about that on a side note is um, when Zinke first got elected, I went to D.C. for his inauguration. And, and uh, I went through the offices, you know, in the halls of Congress there. And... and predominantly it's run by college students or people that just got out of college, yeah. you know, and, and they're the ones writing the bills, reading the bills. And then the Congress person is so busy campaigning and fundraising that it never ends. And they just, they just go to meeting, to meeting, to meeting, vote, vote, vote. And somebody else is doing the work, which is usually like a 22 year old. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, we have a bunch of 22 year olds around our country. Is that what's going on? Well, I mean, that's what I felt it, like. It seems like it, you know, <laughs> I mean, fuck. like, I mean, that's not a surprise. There's a bunch of fucking yeah. 60 year old hood ornaments walking around and a bunch of fucking left wing dipshits that are writing all the bills and, and tricking them in or, or, you know, they're not even fucking reading it and passing it or, you know, a sex trafficking bill will have, or an anti-sex trafficking bill, let's be clear. Let's be clear. Uh, you know, we'll have 30 other fucking earmarks in it that have nothing to do with it that piss everybody off, and so it, it never gets passed. I mean, I don't know what the fucking solution is, but uh, it seems like it's, it's the same problem over and over and over with exactly what, what you're talking about, and, and that shit needs to stop because, you know, to me, 
having five team guys in Congress is great, um, you know, but, you know, I, I would I would ask them and, and anybody else, it's like, okay, well, what, what are you doing? Like, what have you gotten done? And, and, and if the answer is, well, there's an excuse, our hands are tied, I mean, whatever the fucking case is, well, then say that. Yeah. You know, like if, if you're not able to get shit done, you're either incompetent or there's a reason why it's not happening. So why don't you fucking tell everybody why it's not getting done? Like, it's like nobody's fucking held accountable to, to the people that put them in that position anymore. It's always some smoke and mirrors, silver tongued, you know, bullshit that, that gets espoused out there that, that tries to snowball everybody. And, and there's never a fucking real reason given. I mean, have you have you run into that same thing, or is, has anybody? I mean, have, have you held their feet to the fire, or have you run into anybody that's given you like a a legitimate reason or excuse that that you can say, okay, I can see see where the problem is, and I understand why you're not able to to solve this problem because I haven't. Oh, me neither. I mean, at the end of the day, there is no collaborative effort. There's just a lot of individuals that carry the flag for a day and then they move on to all the other things that they have to deal with. And, and I mean, it's, it's almost like the world that we live in today, the amount of information is coming at you that you can, you can only deal with any one thing for one minute. And then it's like, you got a thousand other things to deal with. And I think the congressional, you know, people are in the same problem where they, they get hit by everybody that wants something and this is just one of those things, and it should be one of the biggest things. But I mean, I mean, even when I was like working for um, Ryan, and I was running around the state, and I, had, you know, somebody came up to him, and he immediately passed him off to me because they had all these like pictures of chemtrails, and at the time we were just like freaking chemtrails, like what the hell are you talking about? And this person was like giving me this whole you know conspiracy about chemtrails and. Zinke was like, you can talk to Jeremy, (laughs) you know, but it's like, there's (laughs) people coming at you for everything all the time. Some things may be legitimate. Some things may not be, but you have to try and weed out what is and what isn't. And you're just like, yeah, this, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get shit done. Oh, I I can understand that. I mean, to me, running a business is no different, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's no different. It's similar. Um, but you know, the, to me, the, like, just look at the data. It's the same principle in my opinion as follow the money in that it's like okay there's 3,000 people that are all throwing ideas at you and asking for you to you know de- dedicate money time resources manpower bandwidth whatever prioritize it yeah I right. mean okay look at the data and, and say okay what are the 10 biggest problems in this country focus mm-hmm. on those right yeah. and 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 take tell everybody like that this is what's happening like hey data wise the top three things that are killing people in this country are fentanyl fucking child trafficking and fucking sugar i mean whatever it is and so this is what we're going to fucking focus on you know and and all that stuff i'm not saying it's not important but just like an er doctor in a fucking in a triage scenario like here here are the arterial bleeders that our country has to fix or we're not going to be a fucking country anymore so we're going to dedicate time to that you know I'm, i'm sorry we're putting your project on the back shelf or you know in the back seat but um, once we have this handled, then now we can go to the, the secondary tertiary, you know, whatever to me, I think most people would have a lot more respect for that. I know I would like, mm-hmm. even if I'm passionate about something that doesn't fall into the top five or top 10 things that are, are the biggest problems in this country. If somebody looked me in the eye and said, Hey, I hear you, 
right? I know this is a problem. I know you're passionate about it. I want to help you. This is more important from, from the big picture, 30,000 foot view standpoint. We're going to focus on this. Help me unfuck this problem. Once this problem list is gone, then we'll tackle the fucking secondary list. Like if somebody would just say that, I think everybody would, would at least have enough respect to be like, okay, I can, I can do that. And then you have collaborative efforts because now it's like, Hey, here's the top five things that we all need to tackle to get to the other thing. Even if it's, Hey, if you want, you know, your, your project done, you got to help me with this one first, you know, not just, Oh yeah. Fucking handshake and a smile. Yeah. yeah we're going to knock that out and like promise everything and fucking deliver nothing. I mean, that, that's what it seems like happens, but, uh, I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence in the government taking care of, you know, my problems. Um, but I feel like the government should be able to put together a collaborative effort. And I bet you just like on national security, where I know there's even here in Dallas, there's a, a group of, um, everything from billionaire businessmen down to admirals and generals, um, former military professionals that all come together and they collaborate on advising the federal government on national security. Why can't you do that around human trafficking? Bring some like real influential people with affluence and influence that can really, um, bring in some money, bring in some ideas, you know, create an actual think tank that can do something, um, and have a real impact. I mean, why haven't we done that? You know? And I, and I think again, like where we're going with what we're doing is I would like to think that we can create a movement in which is going to push that forward. And I think that as we do that, we can start to push, um, awareness and information correct awareness and correct information into the hands of millions of people. And, and in doing that, I think that once people understand what the real problem is, again, you can choose to get involved or not get involved, but like, you know, how can you, how can you not? Yeah. I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart. And that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, the hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him, and his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that, um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and and a guy that I went to war with. And, uh, you know, the, the Bubs brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen, uh, collagen powder, as well as MCT oil powder. Um, you know, but they also give back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial foundation. Uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which, uh, you know, to me just furthers, uh, you know, the, the mission set on Veterans Day, they give 100% back. So uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee, the MCT oil powder, the same thing. Uh, it mixes in very easy. It tastes great. Uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from a joint support, gut support, um, you know, MCT oil and Collagen are, are two components, especially as as we age, uh, that are integral components to uh, to health. And so, uh, to be able to work with Bubs Naturals and uh, be able to to work with them and, and sponsor a product that 
number one is a high quality product and number two is is so near and dear to uh you know to my heart and to the mic drop podcast for for who it uh, was started for and what it stands for um you know it's just uh, it's an amazing amazing place to be so um it is whole 30 approved um it's uh, sport certified so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that um and i will say that um you know right now they're they're offering uh 20% <clears throat> 20% off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code so uh, i really highly encourage you to to try it out incorporated into your day day to day for joint health for brain health uh for cognition for gut health and uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh in Glenn Bubbs honor so uh go to bubsnaturals.com mic drop is the code 20% off all right, guys, as you know, I'm into uh, health and fitness uh, and specifically how nutrition relates to it. Um, coffee is a, has been a staple of mine and, and I think most people's for a long time. Um, as you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of Mudwater, which is a sponsor of this show. They have been uh, for a while now and, and we have a great partnership. I love their product. Um, it's a phenomenal alternative to coffee. Um, for me, you know, coffee, there's jitters, there's mold in it. Uh, you know, a lot of times it tends to, to kind of upset my stomach. Uh, but Mudwater has adaptogenic uh, mushrooms. Um, there's a fraction of the caffeine that coffee has. There's a little bit, but it's very, very little. Um, and it, it really leans on, on mushrooms and the blend of matcha and chai for kind of that sustained energy that, that continues to go and, and doesn't crash the way coffee does when, uh, when it runs out. Uh, they use lion's mane for alertness, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and raishi to support the immune system, turmeric for soreness, and cinnamon for antioxidants. Um, I, I really enjoy that first cup of warm liquid in the morning by taking mud water instead of coffee, and I'll put uh, just a splash of, of heavy cream uh, or even some protein powder, uh, some collagen powder, um, and I also throw uh, usually a couple drops of uh, stevia or uh, monk fruit vanilla to make it kind of a, a thick, normal morning coffee ritual type of uh, concoction. And uh, I got to tell you, it, it it does wonders for me. And and I'm really really glad that I switched. It's been you know better part of a year now, uh, you know that I've been taking that uh, and using that as part of my d uh, daily morning routine. And it's fantastic. I love it. I I can't re recommend it enough. Uh, it's 100% USDA, uh, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Uh, and they also donate to the Berkeley Center for Science of Psychedelics, which is, uh, you know, groundbreaking and leading research to help veterans with PTSD uh, and other uh, associated illnesses and, and uh, syndromes. So uh, great cause, great company, phenomenal product. If you go to Mudwater, that's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com forward slash Mike to su support this show and the product uh, and use the code Mike Mud M I K E M U D all caps for fifteen percent off. That's again Mudwater M U D W T R dot com forward slash Mike and the code is Mike Mud M I K E M U D all caps for fifteen percent off. Go check them out. So speaking of that. Um like from a trafficking process standpoint, you know, the, like so that people understand for those that don't, uh, can you paint a picture of, of a, what the trafficking process consists of? Uh, I know that, that it varies, but like some of the, the classic examples or, or most predominant, 
as well as like the the top several platforms used uh, online and technology wise that people are using. So for parents out there or concerned, you know, family members, aunts, uncles, whatever, uh, that, that, you know, they, they can have an understanding of kind of what's going on and how it's being conducted so that they at least have have that uh, to kind of look out for. Well, like I said before, technology is really what's allowed human trafficking as a business to scale. Not only are human traffickers able to sell their product online, but also they're able to like groom online and locate um, targets, right? So I think, uh, you know, first and foremost as a parent, like you have to know what your kids, what, what apps they're on, what devices they're using and have access to that. And so you can see what they're communicating, who they're communicating with. I give you a couple examples um, from again our previous work, but we had a, a boy who was on a gaming station. You know, in gaming stations, you can you, they're connected to the internet, so you're talking to somebody somewhere, but you don't necessarily know who that person is. And in this case, I think we had a 14 year old boy who was talking to a 57 year old man, but he he didn't know that. And they built a relationship. So there was a grooming process that happened over a period of months. And um, eventually that man showed up in his town and, and got, his, got him to give him a text message, you know, a cell number. And he was texting him and said, hey, I'm two blocks up the road. Come out and say hi. I'd love to meet you. The boy does. The boy gets thrown in a truck. Um, phone's tossed out the window. And he's in another state within 24 hours. And um, we were able to have one of our analysts like work on that case and the boy was able to get returned. But man. it wasn't just that man. That man was part of a network of other people. This case went to the FBI very quickly. Um, so I actually don't know everything that happened after that. But do you know how long he was captive? For 24 hours. They got him that it, fast. Uh, the boy. Or, yeah, the boy, he had this boy for 24 hours before. Yeah, and, and we got the... Um, it, it, yeah, from the attorney general down in that state, got got them involved very quickly, and it was a huge success. You know, what's, story. What's but that was a boy. That? You know, and so like yeah. we don't always think about boys being in that kind of situation, and we don't know what the number is. But I've heard numbers; it's around twelve percent of this uh, problem. So I mean, you know, like boys are susceptible as well. But then on the on the girls, uh, I'll give you a case that I still think is one of the most prevalent ones in my mind because. Um, this was a girl that was in New Mexico. Um, her mother, in this particular case, her mother was a heroin addict. So her mother was willing to look the other way and get some free heroin while her daughter, who was 12, was being sold for sex in the next room. Dude, that fucking mom should be hung from a bridge. I mean, what the fuck? It should, but what I found out is this is way more common than I could have ever, ever thought. Like, like that, that exact scenario. Um, like thousands. And, <laughs> oh yeah. Jeez, and fuck, now that I'm, I've got two foster kids and I'm seeing the foster system from the inside and seeing the people, these, these children who are in the foster system and then why they're in the foster system. Um, a lot of times there's narcotics in the, from the parents is a big side of it. But you know, the, the, these kids in the foster system are susceptible to this too, but also that's already why they ended up in the foster system. So I mean, I literally was talking at that last Friday, like I mentioned to this group of Republicans and this older gentleman who, who was there, he said, wow, he said, first of all, you're making me feel like a perp. Cause I was talking about um, 
CSAN, which is basically another word for child pornography and, and not sending it, you know, like, so he thought that sending a picture of his um, granddaughter to another family member, you know, but maybe she didn't have a shirt off and maybe she's like, you know, a baby or something, thought that was child pornography. And it's not really because it's, it's got to be in a sexual act kind of deal. Um, but regardless, um, he goes, and my daughter is a heroin addict. And I'm worried that her daughter, she's doing that same thing for. I mean, that was just random Republican audience that I was talking to. Yeah. And I think it's just so prevalent. And, and I've heard all these stories. But in that particular case for that girl in New Mexico, where that went from there is at 12 years old, she was being sold for sex. Her mom basically gave, gave up on her at that point. And for the next 10 years, until we intervened and became an organization to intervene, for 10 years, she was sold to 10, 10 different human traffickers, literally had ownership of her. And when we talk about human trafficking, we're talking about force, fraud, coercion, obviously not being able to keep any of the profits of your, of your labor, but also you're not doing it by choice. And in her case, she was being sold six to 20 times a day for some sex act. So you From can imagine to 22, a 10 year period. Yeah. 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 And so, Man. and so you can just imagine, you know, all the trauma and PTSD and all the things that go along with that. But obviously she also became a heroin addict. And so she's taking uppers to like stay awake and then she's taking heroin. And like, um, I mean, we, we actually read her journal and I mean, it blows your mind to see like the, even the thoughts of that person. Um, Can you share an example or is that like a privacy thing? You want me to read it right yeah, now? If you, yeah, if you would. Yeah, I think and maybe I had it on my laptop. So I brought this here just in case. Of, one, one thing I'm curious so. too, when you, you start, while you're looking for that, uh, if you can chew gum and walk. I got side. it. I'll no, tell you right yeah. now. So this is, uh, <clears throat> this, is a, this is out of her journal. And, and so it, this is the girl you were just talking about. This is the girl yeah. I was just talking about. So I don't know. I think at this point she's probably 19, 20 years old. But she says, I mean, this is like how I think demonic this whole just pure evil this is. And this is just one page out of like a lot of different things. Some of these pages you could actually see where the heroin was kicking in and this writing turned into like a scribble and then just maybe she passed out, you know, but like, this one is very articulate, but it's kind of like a poem. It says, I kill all of your friends. I ripped your soul apart. You'll forget where you came from, and that's just the start. I'm the best life has to offer. Try me, and you will see. Now that we're together, it's for eternity. Take a dance with the devil. I will sweep you off your feet. I will make you feel beautiful. I will make you feel complete. Now, once I've got you, I won't let you go because now I'm the owner of your soul. Jesus, man. Like how dark is that? And that's, and I mean, again, like. I mean, to me, it almost seems like she's referring to heroin. It's, it's very possible, but I think um, she, having a conversation with her later i mean she didn't think that there was anybody out there that cared she didn't think that there was an alternative life for her she thought this was her life 
and this is just what she had to do to survive. And it, and it kind of was, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, especially starting that at 12, like there's such a, a skewed perception of reality, you know? I mean, between drugs and and that environment, I mean, I, I can't even fucking imagine the, the mental barriers that exist. I'm assuming you, you've interacted with a lot of these children that have grown up that way, correct? Or some, at least. So the interesting thing about it, and I think some people <clears throat> mistake this a little bit, is you know, we as an organization set out in the very beginning, we had some interaction with some of those cases where we actually had uh, a little bit of boots on the ground. But ultimately, what we realized very quickly was, you know, it's law enforcement's job, right? And, and as much as we want to be vigilantes and go out there and, and try and take matters into our own hands, you know, you have to get a successful prosecution at the end of the day is what is what matters in these situations. And so, you know, you don't want to interfere with any of that. And you want to make sure that law enforcement has what they need and they do it properly so that the prosecutors can successfully prosecute this, this case. And so um, the best thing you can do is provide data or intelligence to, you know, law enforcement so that they can action on it. I, I guess w the question I'm uh, trying to get to is, uh, I mean, you, you have interacted with some of these kids, right? Is, is there a, an obvious immediate apparent issue with them? Like are, are some of them normal enough to where like you, you, if you wouldn't know unless you really started talking to them or, or is it like, Holy fuck, what's going on with this kid mm -hmm. immediately? Or like, like, what are they like? And I know they're, I mean, everybody's different, but from your experience, so one of the things, I mean, we, we want to sometimes talk about like the, the child sex trafficking, but that child, while she was maybe 12 initially, eventually is 18 or 22. And we look at her as like a prostitute and, and, but there's all of these things that have happened. And what's blown my mind is to, is to find out that I believe it's like one in four girls Unrelated to human trafficking, one in four girls have been molested in some way. Like one in four. Yeah. And those create psychological hooks that then a human trafficker can leverage um, or anybody else, just somebody who's manipulative in any way. Some guy who just is trying to get a girl in, in bed is going to leverage some of those also sometimes, right? But like what you don't realize is somebody's past. And the predominantly one of the things I've learned over the last 10 years is as humans, all the issues that we have as an, as an adult are driven by things that happen to us as children. And this is no different in the case of, you know, human trafficking. A lot of these kids were abused somehow as children. You don't just wake up one day and choose to be a prostitute and be out on the street. But when you are a, a prostitute out on the street or being sold, you know, online or however that is being conducted, you are doing it because oftentimes because you think that's your lot in life and that you're dependent on this trafficker. And you've got really what we call two kinds of traffickers. You've got the gorilla pimp trafficker who's doing this out of force. Um, and so you're just fearful of if, if I don't do this, they're going to beat me up or kill me or kill my baby that they have custody of or something like that. And then you have the Romeo style, right? Where if you really love me, you do this for me kind of style. And it's that Stockholm syndrome kind of deal a little bit, right? Where, uh, so 
whether or not, however it happens, these girls are talking to a guy who they're basically saying, I'm going to have sex with you, but they have to convince that guy that they're doing it of their own volition. And so I think it's kind of difficult to know for sure. I think it's be very difficult to know that that person that you thought was just a prostitute is not actually being forced, frauded, coerced, and has a whole history of things behind them that got them to that point, right? When you look at it from that angle, you look at it from a, like just our hyper-sexualized world that we live in, and pornography is this, you know, I mean, I, I heard a stat recently that 80% of men are addicted to pornography. And I mean, we're no strangers to that. We've been in the military. We've seen like what that looks like um, and how it's just kind of military, the government, you know, guys who are alpha males. I mean, it's, things are passed around and it's, it's not really thought of as like a bad thing necessarily. But when you start to correlate it to something like this, to human trafficking, you go, well, wait a minute. That girl who's in that film has a history, has a past. What's her story? How does she end up there? Is she d being forced, you know, frauded, coerced into this? Um, all of the, all of these things tie together, and we've just somehow got to this point where we've normalized so many of these things. So when we interact with that that victim, we're not really sure what to think, um, and we make excuses also of like why it's just they chose that life somehow. Yeah. But there's all those trails. Yeah. That go back to being abused as a child or, or, I mean, just, I can tell you some other stories too, but you know, of, of kids that were sold in, in a uh, country club, you know, where, where this child was passed around to rich people in a country club. And there was like a back door to the place where they, you know, it's just like, you can't even imagine these things happening, especially in America. Well, but it's like the fucking the Epstein stuff, right? Like, do you guys have access to the Epstein list? What's going on? I saw I saw yeah. your Fox interview where uh, he said he did not. He said he he did yeah. not hang himself. But uh, which I would agree with. Yeah, but yeah. that but that list as a good example. Like, why the fuck is that not public? Still, mm -hmm. you know who the fuck is on that list? Like, clearly there are some big names on that list, yeah. and, and there's some people that were wrapped up into that. That if the general public knew to the extent with which they were involved that it, it would, I mean, I don't know what would happen, but, but clearly there are enough people that are concerned enough about that to keep that from being public. And, and I don't know how with, with the world that, that we live in now with, you know, information being so easily accessed and things that, you know, so many people, whether it's financial stuff or, you know, whatever it is that, that they don't want out there and, and how impossible it is to keep things from being released leaked fucking whatever the fact that as popular as that is and that fucking list still is not public tells you everything you need to know in my opinion yeah. i mean i'm curious from from your professional opinion like what is your take on it man i've had these conversations and there's so much things out there that are like conspiracy right but as we know a lot of these things that are conspiracy are actually turn out to be true yeah <laughs> so i mean I we sit in this crossroads and it's like well um do i believe that you know, there's this political elite class who's super involved in pedophilia. Um, I do. I mean, at some point, I know some of them are because we're finding out about some of those things. But when you tie it to something like this with Maxwell and Epstein, it seems pretty clear that, like, it's 
it's maybe not just a political class, but or or politicians, but there's there's obviously elites that go all the way up to like royalty yeah. who are who are manipulating and pulling strings. And then again, like I mean, I was so disappointed, and I I had a lot of respect for Bill Barr, you know, as an as the um, attorney general, and I mean, he kind of got pulled in. He was, took the quick look and said. Yep, I see no evidence that uh, you know there was anything nefarious here that happened with you know Epstein, and somehow he just randomly was able to hang himself in the place that he was put, so that you could not commit suicide in that place. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just is nonsense. And then, like you said, now you see it roll a little further forward, and you know, so Max Max um, <laughs> Maxwell, what's her name? Jazane Maxwell. Yeah, I can never right. say that name. So she's got. What, yeah, what's the deal with her? I mean, she's she's been prosecuted, but f- for no actual definitive, like for human trafficking, but never naming who was trafficked. Yeah, you know, uh, and to whom? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, think about all the other examples that that have taken place in the last, we'll say, since you've been on the show, of things that that very powerful people would not want to be released that couldn't keep it from being released. There's fucking dozens of examples. Sure. You know, um, this, uh, assuming that it's on both party lines, and that's why there's a concerted effort to keep it quiet, somehow manages to fucking, from a crypto standpoint, is, is uncrackable, and, and nobody has access to it. Like, to me, that's that's so beyond baffling and ridiculous in, in today's day and age that it's clear that, that it's not an accident, that it's not... Uh, anything other than that there are enough people who are are powerful enough don't want that list to be released because they're fucking on it you know i mean it 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 has to be that simple like and i I would ask anybody give me a a, a logical explanation as to as to why not then agreed you know i mean (laughs) mean, it's it is one of those things that i don't think that we're going to get the answers that we're looking for but that's like you said, that's the answer in itself. Yeah. Um, it shit drives me fucking nuts. Um, the, the question that, that led to uh, kind of the, the full scope answer that I'm, I'm curious of, have you interacted with any younger, we'll, we'll say like under 14 victims that, that were there for maybe a shorter period that you interact? Have, have you ever interacted with kids that young? I've not. I've always had a pretty arm's length separation yeah. from that because usually it's it's uh, law enforcement. There's some organizations that kind of come in to do that, but it's a very quick turnover from law enforcement doing a sting type yeah. operation, getting that child and then turning them over to usually CPS. I, I guess what I'm curious of is, is that, you know, for, for kids that have that happen and don't go all the way to where they're, you know, in their 20s that mm-hmm. maybe get recovered after a year or two and they're still young kids, like – how how logical or reasonable is it to uh, not expect but but hope that that they would kind of make a full recovery? Is that even possible? You know, like can can they recover from that emotionally, mentally, to a point where it's like that they can live a normal life, have normal uh, you know relationships with uh, the opposite sex or, or what have you, and and it not impact them day to day? Like, is that even realistic? from your experience? So I'll take it a little bit to a more religious standpoint, just because in my experience in talking to victims who have 
become not, I don't know if the right word is rehabilitated. We would say that instead of being a victim, now they're a survivor or even, you know, they're, they're a thriver. But I think that in order for them to be able to overcome that victimization, which is, I mean, we we're as being from the veteran community, we have a certain idea of what we think PTSD is, right? And what causes that. But any kind of trauma could cause that. It doesn't have to be from a something we experienced in the military. Yeah. If you are raped at any age, you're going to have PTSD. And so whether you are on a college campus and you're raped one time, it has nothing to do with being human trafficked. Um, is that going to affect you the rest of your life? Probably, um, unless you find some way to deal with it and some sort of ability to talk about it. And what I've actually found out it's been wild is uh, over the years, as I've been talking to groups of people, uh, I'd have a lady who'd come up to me who's 70 years old and she'd be like, I've never told anybody this before. Um, and I don't even know why she's telling me, but she was like, I was raped in college or I was raped and you know, I've always kept that in and I didn't tell anybody. Um, but I think that there's so many, like I said before, if like one in four yeah. women at some point were abused somehow then, then that's massive. So I, so where I go with that is like, what I've seen is you can go see a therapist, you know, over and over and over. Um, you know, I just don't know that that's necessarily going to get them, pull them out of that situation. Cause they're always going back to the, how I was victimized somehow. I think that on a more religious standpoint, you know, humans in general have a hole in their heart that they're trying to fill with everything all the time. And I always say it's a God-sized hole. And, and the victims who have um, found faith, found Christ, have, have filled that hole, have overcome in a way that I don't think is paralleled in, in any other way. Wow. So I do think there's hope. Um, me personally, I, I do the same thing. I put my hope in Christ you know, as a Christian. And uh, I think that that's the only place to find hope, especially in the world today, I think that's spiraling downwards. Um, So I think that's for, for these girls, for these women, uh, for anybody is kind of the same answer. Yeah. You know, it's a great answer. I appreciate the insight. And, and uh, I guess for me, the, where I I would be the most concerned is, is the younger, the harder it would be, you know, because it's like with, with combat as an example, not that, at 18, you're really a grown man because you're not. I mean, to me, it's it's really closer to 30. But, but you know, as you get older, the the mental and emotional resiliency that you possess and, and which increases as you get more and more experience, I think allows you to be uh, more capable of uh, enduring certain things that, you know, that are, are, are pretty fucking terrible. Um, I'll give you a really, really tragic statistic that, Um, I'm only getting from somebody who's a dark web expert and spends a lot of time on there specifically in these kinds of chat room and kind of places that he was tracking down. Um, and he said that the majority, the most searched age for children to do sexual things with is actually infants. What? Like zero to six months. Like it is the most evil thing that I've ever heard. Um, that's the, the most fucking searched. Yeah. On the, the on, fuck? on the dark web. That's what, that's what the, and there's whole chat rooms and the places where they, they provide content. Some of these rooms 
they actually, in order to go on the dark web and to get into certain of these chat rooms, you actually have to provide illicit material in order to be able, and it's one way they can keep law enforcement out of it because it'd be illegal for law enforcement to even have that in their possession, let alone be posting that. And in some of these, it's required that it's, it's new material so they can check and be like, oh, that's an image that's already been out there. That's not even new. You're not allowed in this chat room. So somebody has to have new content of sexual acts with a child to even be allowed into these chat rooms. Are, are there... Dude, my fucking head's yeah. going to explode. Are, are there... Um, we can stop and take them whiskey shots and oh. then reconvene because <laughs> it's that heavy, right? Oh, I mean, man. it's like... I mean, are, are there... So, like, when something like that is discovered, forgive my ignorance on the dark web and, and the inner workings of it because I, I don't get it, but, um, like, for you to know that stat, right, obviously there's, there's a, a law enforcement or some sort of... Um, gatekeeper organization that, that has come across that. So w like when they come across a, a group like that, is it impossible to, to dismantle or find out who these people are because of the, the nature of, of anonymity that exists? So, in so this particular, when I discovered this, the person who told me, I mean, this is what he does. He's, um, he's got a four, you know, is similar to the guy that Sean Ryan just had on his podcast, which is Ryan Montgomery. Who's a, ethical hacker guy yeah. that was, I don't know if you listened to that, but he talked a lot about yeah. dark web type stuff. So there's another guy years ago that I uh, talked to and he was involved to a point where he actually had a law enforcement officer in another country. And this law enforcement officer had infiltrated this chat room in this dark web uh, chat room where it was all child pornography stuff. And when he got in originally, I think there was like, I mean, it was not, it was not big. It was like, there was like 500 people in there. And within six months, there was like 50,000 and this globally. Like, so there's people in every country that are all putting content, that content in there and joining this chat room, like, like massive scale within a short amount of time. So the, so the law enforcement officer is in a situation now where the reason that he had got in there, actually he'd arrested the guy that was running the chat room and that guy had terabytes of content. And so he could maintain this for a while, but then you come into a real ethical question of like, okay, you're maintaining this chat room to see who else is guilty and but you can get in there. Perpetuating it. But you're also perpetuating it. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, it goes a whole bunch of uh, deeper levels, but that's what they, the government said, look, they became aware that this is what he was doing. And they said, you have just a little bit short time left and then you got to shut it all down. Yeah. And they did. And the article came out, an article came out, um, gosh, it was probably five years ago, six years ago. Um, but again, five or six years ago, and these things are just skyrocketing from here, you know, and, do you know, I mean, for all those people that were involved in it, were they able to track a lot of them down? They did. They did. Uh, not all of them, but they did. They did a sting operation and they, they did multiple countries. So I'm assuming that Interpol, you know, was involved and like they had multiple um, countries all and and the United States had. The United States had the majority of those arrests and those people that were That's involved. That's fucking in that. sickening, man. Yeah. 
I mean, it makes you wonder, like, walking around at fucking Home Depot, like, yeah. who amongst the fucking wave of people <laughs> that you run across every day are, are these fucking sick, twisted bastards? I mean, that, I sit in church and look around, and not to be judgmental, but you just yeah. wonder. You, yeah. you, when you know these things that happen that are just, like, pure evil, yeah. and you know people are putting on a facade of, of being holier, holier than thou on one side, yeah. on another side, they're, just they're on the dark evil. web doing stuff like that. And you see the cases that come out and you see like people that get arrested and you're like, Oh, it was a, it was a pastor. It was a, it was a school bus driver. Yeah. You know, like you're like, yeah. Like people that, that would otherwise come across as very normal, ordinary citizens that, that you would never think were involved in shit like that. Um, you mentioned gaming systems being one of the primary means of communications, which, which makes sense if you're trying to find children, uh, what, what are some other platforms? I'm assuming Snapchat and TikTok are, yeah. are real big, right? They are. Uh, yeah. So Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, any of these social media platforms, um, so pretty much all of them give access. Plus a lot of these kids don't use any privacy settings. Why? Because they want a lot of thumbs up and likes for yeah. whatever they're posting. And, for and so, yeah, exactly. And so, Speaking of which, have you watched that show, um, The Social Dilemma? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking wild. Yeah. yeah. Super wild. But I mean, that's the world these kids live in. And so they're trying to get. Yeah, it's a drug. I mean, it's a drug. And they're willing to put anything out there. And then it allows access to people yeah. who are predators. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's a predator's fucking Disney world, you know, for sure. Because it makes it so, so stupid easy to take advantage of these kids. And I, I mean, I've talked about it. I had Eli Crane on while he was running for Congress. And one of the ideas I threw his way, which I've seen some similar traction, um, at least being talked about within the upper echelons of government, of, of mirroring driver's licenses for social media uh, profiles. And I get the the desire for anonymity and, and um, you know, why that's important for certain people. For me, you know, I view it very simply as that it's it's a – you know, picking what's more important, it's prioritizing. And, and to me, something as simple as saying, okay, to be on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, I mean, any of them, Twitter, you name it, is is that you have to be verified that you are who you say you are the same way you do getting a prescription because yeah. it's a fucking drug, mm -hmm. same way you do for alcohol, for boarding a fucking plane, for yeah. driving a car. And and you don't get to do that until you're 16, right? Mm -hmm. So for, from 16 to 18, you have that two-year period of, of tutelage, we'll call it, under parents, the same way you do driving, uh, or you know, 14 to 16 for a driver's permit. But So if somebody is posting something on any of these sites, right, you know who it is, mm -hmm. right? It's verified. Like your, your driver's license number can piggyback onto your social media profile, and it can be the same fucking number. You can use your same picture that you do on your driver's license. No filters, no bullshit, right? That's who you fucking say you are. So at that point, like to me, is that going to fix every problem? No, but it's going to fix a lot of them because now at, at this point, like if a nine-year-old is on TikTok, mm -hmm. then your parent, like the, the parent is, is allowing them to use their account. Either way, like there's an account that's verified that, that's using it, you know, like there's no way around that. Obviously, it would take a, a significant level in, of involvement from all of the social media platforms, which for sure they're not going to want to do because it's it's going to monetarily, it's going to kick them in the nuts yeah. enormously. I don't give a fuck. I mean, to me, that that is one thing. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the government being involved in our lives, but yeah. that, that is one area where 
you know, smartphones and social media have, have been around long enough to where the, the data is very conclusive, mm-hmm. how, how detrimental it is to young kids and the younger, the, the worse it is. And so to me, that would fix a lot of problems. Then there's also not the anonymous trolls that are threatening people and, and all of the bullying online that, that kids are killing themselves over. Like a lot of that would go away. You know, if, if you don't get to even be on social media till you're 16, and if you are, it's because you're using somebody else's verified account. Yeah. Like that's holding everybody accountable. Now, like if you're letting a nine-year-old use your shit as a 17-year-old, you're in fucking trouble, you know? I, mean, I don't remember the amount, but when Elon bought Twitter, they announced, I think, what, I mean, I don't know if you guys know either, but like the uh, amount of bots that were on there. Yeah, it's and, mil- millions. You know, whether it's like Russian or Chinese or just yeah. random people, you know, but like the, there's no verification of of who's who and who's saying what. Yeah. And, 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 and to uh, me, there, there should be. Yeah, there just right? should be. I mean, yeah. again, like I, I get that the whole free speech thing and, and but you know, you have to look at it of from, from a standpoint of, of prioritizing. And, and to me, like I, I've brought this idea up to a few different people in different positions that, that would be able to actually at least get that in front of somebody. And, and some of the pushback is, well, there's really no way to really implement that in the you know, the technological uh, challenges, blah, blah, blah. Like to me, if, if you have to verify what you have to verify for me to wire money online, like you can do it. Yeah. Right. Like if banks can, can, can do what they do with making it such a pain in the ass, just to check my fucking account from my phone and, and pain in the ass in a good way. Um, then it's possible, you know, is it going to be perfect? No. Are there, are there people that will find a way around it? Yes. But it's going to be really fucking difficult to do. You know, and, and it would cut a lot of the bullshit out. Um, one of the things you, you mentioned, the foster, uh, organizations, um, running into problems. I, I'm curious. Um, I don't know what the stats are. I don't know if, if either any of you guys do when I say any of you guys, uh, two of, of Jeremy's, uh, business partners, cohorts, uh, are, are sitting in the studio as well. We may drag them in here in a minute, but, um, w- one thing that made me think of is that like, it would be a challenge for a foster organization to be the gatekeeper of, of people who are, you know, just like, um, you know, uh, humane societies with pets is, is that like the, the sifting through and the vetting process, I think, would be very challenging to keep people from trying to foster, you know, 10, 12, 14 year old kids for the intent of using them in that same fashion. That has to be a fucking problem. <laughs> so. My wife and I went through this like background check, right? To that was all we had to do. We had to sit in on a because it was during you know like this ongoing pandemic of of we didn't have to go and sit in on a class. We we for like four hours had a video presentation of which you could be on camera or on off camera for, yeah. and you listened to them talk about some stuff about the foster system, and then we did a background check. We had to fill out a lot of paperwork, you know. Um, but again, to the whole point of why we started this company kind of technology to, to do this data is to provide that kind of data to somebody that's doing that kind of background check, because what they don't have is, is this person advertising anything for commercial sex? Do they have any link to that? Because if they do, they shouldn't be a foster parent and they should probably be, you know, prosecuted. Yeah. But this is a real problem that we have about just seeing like how that worked. And then we got um, a call for um, some kids and they basically said, Hey, we've got a two year old and a five year old 
And we said, sure, we'll take them. You know, like are they siblings? They're siblings. Yeah. And so we said, you know, even though we have a basically a two year old and a four year old, we said, you know, yes. Like how again? Like how could you not? These kids are in a situation. You need to be there. And and but I don't. We didn't get a lot of details of like um, issues that they might have or anything else besides that. And so, but I'm sitting there going like, wait a minute, like. It was that easy. Like we could just get kids dropped on our doorstep and they drop them off and they walk away. And like, it's up to us to parent them in a righteous way. Yeah. Like again, what about the person who's a predator? Like it just makes you think about how easy it would be to take advantage of that system. Yeah. That's fucking sad. I mean, I, I don't want to make assumptions. I can only assume though, is it, is it because they're so overwhelmed that they're just yes. like, holy fuck, like they're just bursting at the seams and they're trying to get kids to homes and, and that's the problem? These kids showed up on our door and with a backpack. You know, each kid had a backpack and that's it. And then their parents are split up. Um, there's issues of violence, narcotics, and mental health issues. And so uh, really on both sides. But we were not told we, actually what we were told is like they had like one visitation with their parents like a week. And then as soon as they showed up, they said, well, actually we are going to do four visits with the dad and three visits with the mom every week. Oh, and so now not only do we have to facilitate that into our schedule, um, but we also have to coordinate that with the CPS workers and they have to coordinate because if we can't drive them to town, the CPS workers have to come and drive them, plus be there for a meeting, which is going to be three, four, five hours sometimes. Um, and it's just like they are so overworked that a lot of those um, visitations with the parents get canceled because the C there's no CPS worker to be there to facilitate it, yeah. let alone drive them back and forth here and there, let alone anything else that they're trying to do, let alone how do you get good people in that job to be a CPS worker? You know, I mean, there's some good ones. There's some really good ones. And I commend anybody who's doing that and just trying to be, again, stepping forth to help that kind of a, a dark problem. Yeah. But there's also some really lazy ones. I mean, let's talk about government workers, right? Yeah. But there's some people who are just lazy. But when they, they put those kids in a situation that's so unhealthy for the kid, that kid never has a chance to settle in a new home that's just – unrelated to all the problems that they're trying to be separated from the, the judges kick the can down the road and say, well, let's just try it out for another six months, you know? And these, these kids just don't get a chance to settle, but either way, like you're right. Like them dropping these kids off, who, who are they dropping? They're desperate for families that will take them. The CPS workers aren't necessarily monitoring. I don't think they're monitoring like the social media of those foster families yeah. um, because they're not even really monitoring every once in a while. They'll look at the social media of the parents, you know, um, our kids are too young to have social media accounts. So they're not posting anything on there, but even kids that are a little bit older, I mean, they just, they don't know where to look. They don't know how to do a good job at vetting this out. And there's, there's, um, there's a lot of problems within that system yeah. and you can just see how easily it could be taken advantage of. So again, there's another reason why we started Con Technology to get at least, you know, something that could be, whether you're applying for, to be a Sunday school teacher or a foster parent or anything else, this should be data that should be part of a background check 
to hold people accountable. Yeah. Well, so I'd, I'd like to get into that because the, you know, if you look at, you know, the years you spent with Deliver Fund, you know, the law enforcement challenges, the foster challenges, parents challenges, it, it's kind of all of the same issue and, and hurdle that you run into is, is that it's an inability to, to really keep track of and know what's going on. Um, you know, there's pushback from the government or, or a lack of, of uh, movement slash involvement. Uh, you know, penalties aren't stiff enough for people who get caught. We, you know, we talked about that on the last episode of, of how ridiculous some of the penalties or, or most of the penalties, frankly, are for people that are getting rolled up uh, and, and such a, a broken judicial system as it relates to punishing those people and, and incentivizing them to not do that shit. So it sounds like with this company that you guys started, you kind of came at it from a different angle to say, okay, hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, it's all kind of the same running your head into the same wall with all, you know, all the things that we just discussed. So we're going to kind of take a, take it from a, a different perspective or, or a different angle and, uh, and enable people with a, with a tool that allows them to, to kind of be their own uh, guardian that way. Is that yeah. So assessment? kind of back to that, sustainably, you know, philanthropically funding something problem, um, law enforcement acting on something problem, um, prosecutors being able to prosecute problem, hypersexualized uh, world we live in problem, pornography being 80% of men and a large percent of women actually too have, you know, even porn addiction. That's surprising. Uh, I know if we could go back in time to our younger years, we'd probably <laughs> wish that it was higher. But, you know, again, like I'm trying to be a better Christian man these days than, than uh, I probably was when I was in the Navy. So yeah. things change. Um, but I think, like, you'd take all these problems, and, and we looked at it and we said, look, if you could um, find a solution that you could democratize down to an individual consumer and put a real prevention tool in the hands and again i know you've got daughters and like this is something that if uh my, my daughter right now is um two and a half but you know eventually i want her to have access of trans of safety and trans um transparency into whoever she's interacting with and i want that same safety and transparency as a parent to know who she's interacting with and i want that kind of data source and so uh yes governments need that and should be utilizing it. Yes, corporations need that and should be utilizing that. And the government should be mandating that corporations are using that kind of data and and holding people accountable and not doing business with people who are involved in illicit activity, right? Because at the end of the day, this commercial sex business is illicit. Yeah. Um, so if we could create a tool that would be that prevention tool and it will also be able to be monetized in a way that's sustainable and can scale with, you know, to have a massive impact, then we can have a real solution. And so that's where we started. I mean, Greg uh, is here with me and he's our CEO, but previously he sat on uh, uh, Airbnb's council for trust and safety, you know, and, and seeing like as a platform like Airbnb, like, what they're doing or not doing about these kind of issues because actually um, VRBOs and Airbnbs get, oh, get used just like hotels do, but 
it's almost easier if you're a human trafficker. I just run an Airbnb. It's in a gated community. Yeah, no right? cameras. Nobody, nobody knows the difference. There's no cameras. Like people can come in, park in the garage in a gated community, like give them code. I mean, all these kinds of things, right? Um, I mean, matter of fact, I was in Augusta, Georgia and talking to law enforcement there. And when they do their big golf tournament for the masters, it's like a week of everybody that lives there leaves and they rent out their house because they can rent out their house for like 30 grand for the week. Yeah. And, but what happens in that house while well, they're not there, people come into town to party and they're all kinds of stuff. And so human traffickers also, you know, leverage that whole system. And it's really, t really difficult for law enforcement to be able to go in there and go into a private residence and say, so, I'm, yeah. I'm coming in, you know, like, so yeah, I mean, a hotel has cameras, it has staff, it's a public setting, you know, there's, there's other people there, right? You know, yeah, there's, so, so we basically took it to this step to go a little bit further and say, well, what if, um, if an Airbnb host who actually owns the property and I'm an Airbnb host, I don't want that kind of activity happening on my uh, property for two reasons, for multiple reasons. Right. But like, um, I would like to pay, I would pay 10, 15 bucks a month to have that monitored to make sure that, I mean, I have a liability as yeah. a, as a small business owner owning that property and renting it out to somebody, um, that that's not happening there, that illicit activity, but also just out of the moral decency of my heart, I want to make yeah. sure that that's not happening and that I'm condoning that in any way. So, and so I would gladly pay that. But if we take it one step further and we democratize it down to, again, an individual consumer, and we say, we can put this now in a mobile app. So basically what we've done is we've created this database, um, this platform, and through this platform, you, you kind of think of it like a Google search for commercial sex advertising. So there's all these different websites. And you kind of asked me before about, you know, different websites where, where the main ones. And, you know, five years ago, probably when we talked, I guess in 2018, Backpage.com was the big prolific website that everybody knew was the escort ads, sex trafficking kind of, uh, or sex, um, commercial sex ad advertising website. Uh, they got taken down and actually we're in Texas now and, and the attorney general Paxson was a big part of that. But long and short of that is all of those people posting on that scurried like cockroaches to all these other different websites. Some of those have servers off seas. Some of them have servers, you know, in the U S um, we're tracking on hundreds, hundreds of those websites now, which is to put it in perspective, that's like, um, some of the larger organizations that are looking at child trafficking are looking at like less than 10 of yeah. these sites. And we're not just looking at like certain stuff. We're collecting everything off there. And then we're doing an attribution level of like, it's not just commercial sex, but there's known indicators of human trafficking. Yeah. And we can say whether it's an emoji, whether it's a four letter phrase that somebody uses that means something or whether it's a um, tattoo and a photo, you know, we can, we can crop those out and we can say, and then we can use machine learning and AI and get it to the point where we now can have this database with attribution to human trafficking and actually give it a score and then, and then have your daughter have it monitor our app, monitor her apps and red flag anytime she's interacting with a nefarious character. That would be a predator. And that's fascinating. Um, so to me, again, like in thinking of the challenges that, that have existed historically with like you said, this back page, like, okay, you find it, it shuts down and they go to somewhere else. Like 
So instead of having to do the cat and mouse game, which is historically what's been taking place of, oh, we found this, we shut it down, we found this, we shut it down, we do, you know, you're kind of taking it from a different angle is you're, you're putting the ability to be a gatekeeper on the individual themselves. It's really twofold because, again, we're, we're allowing access at different levels. So government has access. Matter of fact, we, are gonna, we have an app that's coming out real soon um, that's going to a pilot program um, for, for, with Florida, and it actually has the facial recognition component too, right? Because wow. a law enforcement officer could take a picture of a girl on the street and see if it pops positive anywhere in our global database of all the commercial sex advertising that's out there. Yeah. And so like, that's a big deal because immediately, I mean, even if you pulled somebody over and you said, uh, it seems like maybe there's a problem here, but you know, let me, let me get a photo or get some, some other piece of information from that passenger who yeah. put, you think might potentially be a victim and run it in our database. Boom. Now, you know, now you have probable cause, right? So that's a really big deal to help law enforcement. And it's not something that we're trying to get them to input data into another database and yeah. adopt a whole new system. It's like, Hey, for a few bucks a month, you can have this on your phone. And you know, there's different ways that we can deploy it to them, but like, that's a real win for law enforcement. Yeah. And it's a win for policymakers because they're trying to make policy right now with less than an eighth of the data that we have. Yeah. So to be able to have that kind of data, you can make better policy. You can understand the market better. You can be involved in a lot of other ways that are going to be more impactful. Plus, for us as a company, we're monetizing it in a way where, one, it's a great investment. And we're still taking a few uh, a few investors, so there's that. Yeah. But it's a it'll be a great investment. And on the other hand, um, you've got a tool that's a prevention tool, which I think is like one of the most exciting things because now you're keeping that girl from getting in yeah. a situation where she's going to get raped or she's she she can cut it off before something bad happens. Um, but you have through this app, we have a resource center, and we can be pushing awareness. And we can get this in the hands of, I mean, our goal is to get it in a million users as, fa as fast as possible. You know, and I think there's a million mama bears out there that would want to have it alone, it's right? probably tens of millions. Or tens of millions. Yeah. And so we, you know, we've got to do some good marketing to get it out there. But just, you know, yes, it's a prevention tool, but also through that we can be, we can be pushing the awareness, the articles, the solutions, the other solutions that exist, you know, to keep your kids safe on the internet. All of these different things that people like, are looking for and need, you know, we've got a one-stop shop that for seven bucks a month, not only are you fighting human trafficking, like crushing it, um, but you've monetized something that can be scaled up. And then, I mean, we actually are going to give dollars from our company to our foundation, which then empowers other organizations yeah. who are having a hard time fundraising. Cause I know how hard it is, yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll push money out to those organizations that are doing good work. That's fucking awesome, man. I'm, I'm really excited for what you have going on and, and super proud of everything you've done. Two questions I have from, uh, from that, what you just talked about. Um, on the law enforcement side, has there been any hiccups or um, difficulties with, um, like from a privacy standpoint of the facial recognition and, and is there any gray area there that, that has hampered your guys' ability to, to develop some of this, whether it's for them, I suppose not as much on the private side because a, a parent with a minor, it's like, 
yeah. there's no issues there. But have you, have you run into any problems with that? Yeah, because I, mean, I, I think it's great technology, and I agree it should be used. Yeah. But I can also see the other side of the privacy. Data aspect. privacy. So we spend a lot of money with our attorneys because data privacy is a big deal. And there are certain states that have different rules uh, around laws around um, biometrics. Yeah. And so when you're talking about facial recognition, you're talking about biometrics. And there are certain states where we cannot collect certain things or or not, um, you know provide those, yeah. provide access. And if you can't provide access, you may as well not even have it. So, so also what I found out, which I didn't know is Europe has a lot more stringent laws on data privacy, but also, um, especially around like biometrics. Except so, in, uh, the UK apparently, cause they're fucking terrible there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if the government's doing it, that's, but, yeah. but, but that's, that is an interesting thing too, because, um, yeah, we're going through some application processes right now in some of those areas yeah. because, but they're kind of like they, like our attorney said, they want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. They're just like, nope, we're not doing any of this because even if there's something good in there, we just don't want to have anything to do with it because they look at it um, from a different level. But in the, I think really in the United States, we accepted on 9-11, you know, we accepted with the Patriot Act and all these things like our, our data and our privacy is you know, it's up for national security to say when and where, you know? Yeah. And so we just, we've gone that far with it in the U S but Europe hasn't. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. So long story short, state dependent, you guys have a team of, of uh, legal experts that, that help navigate that yeah. so that you guys stay kind of within the parameters of, of the law basically. Yeah, for sure. There's uh -huh. a lot of information that we can collect um, everywhere. Um, except for certain countries to, yeah. I mean, again, we talk about some of those yeah. country, it, countries, but yeah. And again, yeah. I, you know, to me, like, I, I think that's a, a great use, you know, of all the things that machine learning and AI uh, have potential for, to me, this is, is one of the best applications that I can think of that, that I would be behind. And again, I'm, I'm very libertarian as, as far as civil liberties and things of that nature, but um, I, I do think that, that that just makes good fucking sense. Um, there's another piece in here that's interesting, too. As you mentioned, AI, and there's, uh, have you heard the term deep fakes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so right. So, like, it's gotten crazy. And I was talking with Marcus Luttrell recently, and, and we were talking about AI. And, and, and I said something where may not be totally true, but I had heard that AI has become sentient. So, another, it's, like, become self-aware. In other words, you know, it can, like, determine um, what's in its own best interest. And that's what we worry about. Right. Because yeah. then it's going to eliminate Terminator two humans. Right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I've seen like the, there was the, uh, drone example. I don't know if you, did you hear about that? No. So it was basically a, a drone operators. It, it was simulated, but it was AI drone operators that, you know, have the oversight of a human being, but the, but AI is basically directing the drone. And when the, when the human said, okay, turn yourself off or shut it down or whatever it started trying to attack the where the human was right. and again this don't is tell me what simulator <laughs> and then started taking out communications yeah. towers you know bombing, oh, yeah. you know to try to not be able to be told what to do it was yeah. fucking scary you know? it's super scary uh, well on the deep fake side you know what we're looking at too is like there's been a lot i mean the fbi has been the fbi has been putting out like warnings recently about um both deep fakes and sextortion Right. Which is like what you can, you can now, this is bizarre, but like 2023 is the year of AI. Right. But all this stuff is really coming about like right now, but you've got, 
you could take somebody's photo of their face and or the photo of their body, but you could you could basically make a deep fake where now it's make it into a pornographic image. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I haven't seen that, but I've I've seen deep fakes of other you know uh, prominent public figures or or political figures where like you know because of what's happening it's not real right but you're like holy shit if i didn't if i couldn't put those two pieces together of like right. i know joe biden isn't standing on the fucking moon without right. you know without a right. spacesuit but fucking christ it looks just like he is you know and, and yeah. it's crazy and they can do voice and yeah. image yeah. and now video and it's so seamless. and it's seamless and so you're hearing this voice that is a known voice or a face that's a known face and you would you would think that it's super legit yeah and which which is frightening. So I guess that that leads me to to wonder then for for this technology that you guys are developing, uh, is there room for error or, or are there mistakes? You know how how does the program work? And maybe this is you know beyond the scope of of this interview. But if there's deep fakes or enough bullshit that isn't even real out on the internet, um, you know, or or does like how do you keep it from making mistakes of identifying? Hey, this person is a sex trafficker or this person is a, a sex trafficked minor and they're actually not like, is there a, a check and balance um, internally with, with the program or how does that work? Yes. And I would say a lot of that's in the ones and zeros above me, but I yeah. mean, our, our third partner is a technologist and, and those are the things that our analysts are helping to build into it because um, those are real problems. I mean, they're on one level, you have a problem of like, well, is this a false positive? Yeah. So um, is it, you know, is it, Mike's phone number. Well, um, if your phone number is in a sex ad, then chances are you're getting phone calls, <laughs> like a lot of them, yeah. um, asking about it or texting you or whatever. But so if it's an email or phone number or a social handle, it's probably actually, you know, being used to advertise yeah. for sex. So um, we look at it a lot like a credit check, you know. Yeah. So if you are, um, it, it, we're collecting what's out there yeah. in, on the on the web, I got you. and then we're organizing it, and we're saying now nah, we're making it accessible, but it's out there. So if it's not you, then you would probably want to know that that's out there, yeah. and just like a LifeLock scenario, sure, you would probably want it removed somehow. And yeah. so on the sextortion side, that's a really interesting place that we go because you know kids are actually committing suicide because they're so traumatic traumatized about the fact that they might have a nude photo or something out yeah. there that could be exposed. And so we've, we've seen these cases. Yeah. And so if you could say, well, here's a, here's a platform that we know if, if your photo ends up anywhere on these commercial um, sex sites that are advertising for sex, we can look at that and we can see if your photo's out there and then we can actually take steps to get that removed. Yeah. You know I mean? You may also prevent a suicide. Sure. You know? And I suppose the, um, because, you know, my, my first inclination was like similar with like swatting and spoofing. And, you know, if somebody decided like, Hey, I want to try to fuck this person over. So I'm going to, I'm going to create a fake, uh, person, not persona, but uh, try to make somebody that I don't like, look like they're going to hit on your radar. Yeah. You know, ultimately like the, the, the data, because it's, it's so widely collected is that you, you'd have to actually be doing it for it to pop up enough to be created as a, as a person. Is that correct? And our machine learning and AI has taken a, a piece of this too, because we're not, I mean, yes, we're looking at like, is this a commercial sex ad? But we're also looking, does this have indicators of human trafficking? What are those known indicators 
what is the attribution of that? What is the score of that? Yeah. And then um, is that accurate, right? So it's cross, it is cross-referencing amongst other, other advertisements and other data yeah. to, to, to help verify that. But those are things that we have to make sure that we build into this yeah. as well as we go because, and I mean, I'm not the technologist by yeah. any means, and thank God there's those kinds of people um, because technology is changing so fast. Yeah, I mean, just look at where we are again from five years ago to now, and it's crazy. Again, people say 2023 is like the year of AI. I mean, we got Chat GPT, yeah. we got all these other things, and and it's coming out so fast. I mean, we. Um, Jasper is a AI platform that you can generate your own marketing content. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy yeah. the things that are out there, um, just this year and how fast that's yeah. going. Yeah. I so know. <laughs> I know it's, it's fucking spooky. I mean, you can't, can't keep up with it. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like the actual product in terms of, of how, how it works? I mean, I, I know you've kind of described the, the process, but as far as like, for the the concerned parent listening right now, it's like fuck. I, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. Like what what would you tell them in, in terms of like this is how it works? Yeah. So again, access at, at really mainly three different points: an enterprise level access of which we can integrate into whatever system we can have our you know whatever customized user interface they want to have for that access and that data. Um, the small business and the really like the small business. And the direct to consumer is is through our mobile app, and so you pay. I mean, there's a free version too, where you'll have some access to some information and and just super basics. But then we have like the the version where you pay like seven bucks a month. And currently, like our our product as it comes out will be where you can type in a phone number or an email or a social handle. Um, and you can run it against all your contacts and see if anybody, you know, is red flagged in there. Um, as we mature on this roadmap, we've got where we're going to have, I think it would be called like an OCR type technology where it basically monitors what you look at on your phone. So you get permissions for it to monitor if you're on Snapchat or you're on, um, Instagram or any of these other, and whoever you're interacting with, if any of the information from those people you're interacting with with red flag in our database you're going to get an alert oh. and that alert's going to say hey this person you're interacting with is red flagged in this commercial sex advertising database with a score of this for potential human trafficking we're not going to say this is a human trafficker um, but we're going to say there's a risk here you really might want to rethink who you're interacting with and at least know that that's a real possibility yeah. um, you know because Another thing that we talked about for years is like, if you're a girl and somebody's laying How do you the, know I'm not? Well, in fact, it, you can be whatever you want nowadays. The other thing that's happened in the last five years is uh, yeah. nobody can define what a woman is. I can. Yeah. It's an adult you, female. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, what a crazy place I to. Sorry, right, yeah. I didn't mean to yeah. derail. Derail everybody. But uh, yeah, so, anyways, we're, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so uh, the scoring system, uh, is it like a zero to 10 or like what, what is the rating system? We're, how does it We're kind of defining that right now, but yeah, it's going to be, you know, on a level of zero to 10 or one to a hundred percent kind of deal. I got you. Um, but, it, or actually it, it, we may have that internally, but it also might just be a low, medium, high risk, yeah. you know? Um, 
Zero to 198.7% chance, and I'll take the dumb and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance <laughs> they might not there's a be. Chance. They, might, they may not yeah, be. Yeah. That's wild. So uh, in terms of timeline, of, of uh, I'm assuming it's not available yet, uh, yeah. or is it? So our app is going to Apple Store in the next uh, week or two. Oh, no shit. Like, uh, but so it's gonna, we're going to take a little bit of uh, time to get it beta tested beta tested so that we're probably two months out from yeah from going live with that we think so so when when this airs it'll be within a few weeks then probably yeah uh, which is awesome we were talking during the break about um you know kind of the the cascade i guess of you know from the the very top level of government to corporations um and one of your partners brought up a good point in that you know these these corporations should want to keep these people off of their platforms and should want to mitigate facilitating sex trafficking through their, uh, through their platforms. Uh, and, and I think like with banks being mandated to do certain things security wise and reporting certain things, I think this falls into that same category. It just makes sense that, uh, they should want to do it, but they should also be mandated to do it. Correct. I believe that we're moving that direction. We talked about, things politicians can do. And I think we can even help work with them to get them to mandate the right kind of data into yeah. some of these, you know, corporations utilizing that. Um, but, you know, we're coming at it from two approaches, right? We're coming at it from the top down approach, put it in the hands of this enterprise level, whether it's a government or a corporation. And to your point, like banks, banks already have to fill out suspicious activity reports. You know, if, if it's suspect of any kind of illicit activity, you know, and, and within that report, there's a check mark. You know, for the last few years, there's a check mark box that says, "Is this human trafficking related?" Well, how would they know? Yeah. You know, um, well, they can know by being a consumer of our data. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, these other corporations, whether it's, uh, you know, we intend to work with dating apps because there's hundreds of millions of people worldwide on dating apps, and they're going to want to know that who they're interacting with is not a potential predator, yeah. right? Um, if you're getting in a ride share, like an Uber, uh, you want to know that that person that's driving it is not a threat. Yeah. And also, if you're the driver, you want to make sure, I mean, how would you feel if you knew that you had taken somebody to go get raped? Yeah, I mean, to me, like, there's, there's no, there's only... The only people that, that wouldn't be behind this are the people that, that are doing it. You know, right. I mean, to me, like any sane, logical person, whether they're a business owner, a parent, just a concerned citizen for all of these things. I mean, and especially in today's day and age where we live in such a, a faux outrage, cancel this fucking guy because he had the wrong opinion on f something. Like if there's no other reason to fucking not do business with people like this is it, you know, I mean, so yeah. to me, like. It, it seems like it could be such an effective way to to kind of funnel um, or like smoke out the fucking rats of of, of this industry because yeah. they're, they they have an inability to hide then and in, in, in plain sight the way that they've been doing. And if if everybody's like, well, I'm not fucking doing business with this guy or, you know, I mean, what, whatever the platform is or whatever entity you're talking about, if it has an ability to to highlight the people that, that are involved in this, like from a cat and mouse standpoint, it takes a lot of that bullshit mm -hmm. out of the, out of the equation. It should. I mean, if they're not willing to participate in doing the right thing in this kind of situation, 
they're highlighting themselves as a target. Yeah, or, that or should be complicit. investigated. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like if if you're yeah. not if you're not willing to implement this into your platform, your business, your company, your family, why? Yeah, like you're complicit then at that point. It's it it's so like it's harder than you think, right? But but it's a topic that goes across party lines and should be like if anything the last apolitical issue that we should all go and i think and i think in some point right now too like some of the things that have been happening in schools you've had people who've just they've taken it all the way along until they go wait a minute you're talking about my children and you're talking about doing things to my children and grooming my children in a way that i'm not okay with then i'm going to make the stand there yeah. but i mean at the end of the day that's what we're all supposed to be saying is like we're trying to protect our children. We're trying to protect the next generation. Yeah. Um, we're trying to protect humanity. I mean, our motto is protecting humanity through, you know, safety and transparency, you know, the kind of deal, right? Because um, this, this is for all of humanity. Yeah. Like if you are against this, then you are the problem. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, I, I, you know, I would say that overwhelmingly we can all agree that we want to protect our kids. Where, where I think um, some people in this country would would give uh, this pushback, just again playing devil's advocate and, and uh, wanting to know how you would respond to it, um, because I, I have no doubt that there will be a, a portion of the population that may take this position, is they can't agree on what protecting our kids looks like, you know, because for a lot of people, the, even the word grooming, like I know how, how I feel about that and, and I know what, what that looks like or what I feel that looks like. There's other people that think that that's normal and cool and, and uh, you know, and, and should be embraced, uh, you know, or even encouraged. From a, from a box checking standpoint or, or from a, a qualification standpoint within the app, uh, is it either explained uh, in terms of uh, checking this this box, this box, this box, this box. That that's what contributes to the overall rating. Is that an, like a, a proprietary algorithm, or is that clearly defined so that people can say, okay, he he checks these boxes, and I'm worried about that? Because for the consumer that may say, like like let's say it's a, a trans thing or, or something like that, um, you know, they they may scoff at it or be like, well, I don't think that's a fucking problem. So you know, this is a bullshit score or whatever. Like, how do you how do you navigate or mitigate uh, the the naysayers as far as stuff like that goes? Yeah. So the scoring system is like just a caveat on top of the fact that they've already been shown to be in commercial sex advertising. So like that's enough yeah. to say like this person has a risk because they're associated with commercial sex advertising. Yeah. Which is an illicit activity. So like that's, that's the real risk. And so if you're a bank, that's all you need, right? Yeah. If you're an individual consumer um, and you're like, well, let's say I'm an Airbnb owner and I'm like, well, okay. So this person is associated with commercial sex, but like how big is the risk? Or if I, if I have that Airbnb and I don't want to get a bad rating from Airbnb, the platform, I want to be able to say, well, they're associated, but this is also why. Here's the X, Y, and Z of why you. it was why it was scored. So like this. You, we could we can provide it at different levels of granularity. That's cool, right? So, so like a credit check or like your credit score has changed. Here's why it's changed. Yeah. It, it'll have that kind of amplifying info of, of what contributes to the score, and then people can make their own conclusion. Yeah, 
Okay, that's awesome. Uh, to me, that that solves any fucking problem from from any pushback that you'd have because you know, like now you got to upgrade for that. Yeah, it's upgrade. <laughs> that's extra. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, because I mean, that, that's the uh, the unfortunate reality of the world we live in is that it only takes like one loud mouth to say that company's anti-trans because they took this position. It's like the don't say gay thing in Florida. Yeah. Right? It's like that's, that wasn't even what it was about, but people right. were pissed. And, and so they used, you know, basically a, a nefarious, not a nefarious, but like a, a bullshit uh, workaround to say that it was something that it wasn't. I mean, I, I would hate to see something that that's this good and well thought out and valuable um, get, you know, hamstrung over something stupid like that, where, you know, some fraction of a percentage group of people decides that, you know, well, I, I don't want you to cut my business out. So I'm just going to say that you guys are doing this, yeah. this, and this, and, and try to fuck your, your business up because of it. Um, There's no guarantees that that won't happen, but I also feel like just as it's become with the whole censorship of anything you say today, somebody can yeah. take spin it and they want to tear you down or whatever. So, I mean, my my policy is this like you do the right thing for the right reason at the right time you know yeah. and the, let the chips fall where they are whether it's business whether it's talking to somebody about your your faith or your diet or whatever it is yeah. you know like just do the right thing the right time and and uh live your life in that way and somebody may come and you know say hey you're hurting my business so i'm going to throw a big stink over here and and generate a bunch of controversy and eventually i think if you do the right thing you live that honest life and you keep high integrity in your life and your business. I think eventually, you know, the truth comes out. Yeah. It might take a sting for a while to your business. I'm less concerned about that than I am just doing the right thing yeah. for the right reason. Yeah. Fuck. Amen. So, awesome stuff. Where, where can people find this and, and uh, learn more about it and, and support you guys and, and ultimately buy the app and get involved. So the app is called spider web and, um, Kime Technology is the is the company, and so we've got um, social media accounts up for Kime Tech, Kime Tech or Kime Tech right now um, is the website. We've got. Um, are we going to have a spider web website coming up pretty soon too? So we'll have to give you the link for that. Yeah, we'll have and, all that uh, shit in the description. Some of those things are just coming up right now. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll, ha we'll have all the amplifying info in the description for those that are just listening to the audio. Uh, go to the YouTube for, for those links, or they'll be in the description um, You know, when, when you actually hit play on whatever audio platform you're on. But, man, this is exciting shit. Uh, it's great to catch back up with you. Um, I, I'm super proud to, to know you and, and know all that you have going on and, and what you've been involved with. This is, uh, this is great, man. Anything else you want to uh, bring up before we wrap up? What's the most important line you had in your book? Unfuck America. Unfor my, my. Unfornicate the world. <laughs> yeah. Most important line. <laughs> I'd say mind your own fucking business. <laughs> I mean, it is. Uh, it's a good one. It's it, a good libertarian way to live. Right? Yeah. There's I mean, uh, I think it's in chapter four. I think it's page 96, 97 in bold. Like there's a, a, a short list of things that on a principled level that I say are, are important things to live by. And, and one of them is mind your own fucking business. Yeah, I just I think it's hard to go wrong if you just mind your own fucking business. Having said that, um, you know, there there's a a dichotomy, I guess, or a, a duality or double-edged sword that exists with that, and that you know that does not mean stand around and do nothing when 
atrocities are being committed. You know, that's more the the day to day. You know, not being a nosy fuck and, and worried about what everybody else is doing that doesn't impact you. Obviously, stuff like this impacts our entire society and and uh, and humanity for that matter. But I, I would hope, uh, you know, that most people can can look at that and and understand what uh, what the principle is behind it. Unfortunately, some people can't. Uh, and they like to to make a pain in the ass out of everything, but uh, but yeah, that, that would be my take on it's it. It's usually the loud few that yeah. get the attention, right? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. we give them the attention, and we let them drive policy and everything else. Yeah, and uh, yeah. And as we close out here, uh, in keeping in tradition with the Mike Drop Podcast, parting gifts: Champion Choice Silver and John Johnson hooking uh, the guests up with uh, with a parting gift to commemorate your time here on the show. Obviously, we've got the uh, challenge coin with the mic drop logo and uh, and the team dog on the back, and then that's especially you being up in Montana. Uh, it's going to go great. I got my boots on. Throw that on with your shit kickers. Yeah, you made a western stuff. shirt for the company. Yeah. It's going to go well with everything. Yeah. That's that that's awesome. Yeah, if you can show Thank that you. to the camera real quick, just so they can see, because there's there's a few different ones, but <laughs> yeah. Appreciate right champion there. Troy Silver and uh, and John Johnson. So thank you guys, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks for coming. Um, great stuff, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come down. Um, you know, again, I'm proud of everything that you're, you have going on and, and please for everybody listening, this is obviously fucking hugely important. Um, you know, our, our kids are, or what's going to drive the country and, and either, uh, embrace it and move it forward or let it crumble and, and fucking, you know, cease to exist. So, uh, as Ronald Reagan said, uh, you know, democracy is only one generation from extinction. So, um, if you don't take care of our kids and, and both protect them, number one, and two, teach them how to be productive members of society, then our country ceases to exist um, Roman Empire style. So thanks again for coming. Anything you want to add? Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, the shout out. And yeah. um, good to good to catch up. Yeah, too. absolutely. For those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, choke yourself. And until next time, this is Mike Drop. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.